I knew that there were other people out there whiteboarding their lives and wanting to be on blueberry fields and wanting to grow their own food and wanting to do all of these things, but not feeling brave enough and not feeling like there were other people like them. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. How's the lady farmer in the city today? I love your new hashtag, by the way. Thank you. I just started it over the weekend, and I was really surprised that it was the first post. I love it. I want want people to be posting Lady Farmer in the City. Hashtag. Use the hashtag, everyone. So far, my picture is the only one. I know there must be lots of Lady Farmers in the city out there with their patio pots and planting their microgreens in the window or whatever they're doing there in the midst of all the high rises and concrete, there are things you can do as we like to talk about a lot. So get in there and post your pictures, everybody. Yeah. Anyways, it looks like we are going to have some more snowy weather this week, which is crazy. I feel like it's been snowing so much. (laughs) Yeah. And we've really been going through our firewood. So yesterday we spent some time replenishing our wood pile. I went out and collected kindling while your dad split the logs, and now I think we have enough to keep us going through the next couple of months, probably the rest of the season, we hope. That's so funny. I was just thinking about firewood on my walk yesterday, and I live in the city, and so it's kind of tricky to get firewood. You either go to the store and pick up the little bundles, or at least in the neighborhood where we live, some people like drive up from Virginia or wherever and they drive around and sell you firewood out of their truck and so it's kind of a matter of waiting for them to come by or if you happen to have their number seeing if they can bring you some but it's sort of like kind of a different experience than just getting firewood out at the farm. (laughs) I know I was thinking about that before we came out here to the farm getting firewood as you said was a matter of just calling the guy to come drop it off but now we just look around us and there's plenty to be had. It takes a little work, but it's okay. There are always down trees to be cleaned up in the fall for logs. Your dad will get out there with his chainsaw and bring the logs up, and then we split them as we need them. We're surrounded by an ample supply of dead branches that come down with the wind, and uh, I really like that activity. I find I really enjoy stomping around out there finding really nice dry sticks. It's fun. Yeah, so that is a chore that's part of your urban exodus life. Yes, urban exodus. That's what we're going to talk about today. Life is different in a lot of ways out here, but it's not different in ways that can only happen if you move to the country. And that's what we're going to be talking about with Alyssa Hessler. Urban exodus is very much about a state of mind and some fundamental decisions about how you'd like to do your life wherever you live. Yeah, Alyssa Hessler is the founder of the Urban Exodus Project. She has a diverse background in art direction, photography, film production management. She's been a director and a producer for several international publications and brands. She's produced complex commercial shoots, global launch events, and done a bunch of rebrands. So she's no stranger to the corporate world, but she in the past several years, made an urban exodus of her own. And so in her free time, she continues to champion young farmers and rural small business owners through her urban exodus project. It's a beautiful website online. She has accumulated over 100 stories, all organized by region of amazing people that have taken the the leap 
and gone rural from an urban place. Uh, she also published a book called Ditch the City and Go Country. It was released in 2017. And she currently has a podcast, which is a great listen. You can hear some of the stories of some of the farmers also featured on the website. And we just loved sitting down and talking to her and hearing her story and hear her talk about why she started the project and what that's been like for her. Okay, so let's get into the conversation. Here's Alyssa Hessler. I am coming from Midcoast, Maine, and I'm looking out my office window into the snowy great beyond. <gasps> it's snowy. What is the name of the town that you're in? Right near a little town called Hope, kind of on the outskirts of Camden. And Midcoast, Maine is kind of central on the coast, and it's about an hour and a half north of Portland, Maine, which is where most people know. Yeah. Can you see the ocean? If I stand on my tiptoes in my bedroom in the winter <laughs> through the skeleton trees, I can see like this much of the ocean, but no. Well, it's still amazing <laughs> to be that close. I grew up in Northern California on the coast, still very far from the ocean, but could drive there. And some people are just ocean people. They need to be by the ocean to collect their thoughts, to recharge. And I'm one of those people I've realized. Yeah. I love Maine so much. I've only been once, but... When I think about the ideal life, it's always in Maine. Well, they call it vacation land for a reason. But I also think when we talk about over-romanticizing country living in particular, I feel like people over-romanticize Maine. And it's been really interesting because since the pandemic, a lot of people have relocated here. Our property values have gone up. In some places in Maine, they've gone up 30%. Wow. Which is absolutely staggering. And it makes me wonder what the landscape's going to look like in Maine in the future and how many people are actually going to realize that maybe their ideas of Maine were a little bit overly romantic. If you can get into the rhythm of the seasons and kind of embrace each season for its own, it's such an amazing, beautiful place to live. But it has been very challenging. I would say that seven months of winter for a Northern California girl who's used to very limited seasons has been the hardest thing for me to get used to. It's harsh, isn't it? It's harsh. And you have to figure out what brings you joy in every season, or you just will end up like a house hermit, (laughs) which I definitely have had stages of house hermit. But now that I have embraced cross-country skiing and like have gotten spikes on my shoes to go for walks, it's changed winter for me. It was a real challenge, but Maine summer is the most glorious season anywhere. Yeah, that's the one time we went. It was July. Yeah, and it was Maine will charm you <laughs> to no end in July. Yeah. You will be ready to move. You'll be looking at real estate listings. Well, yeah. you know, we were at the beach that summer. We went to a little conference. Like 75 degrees on the beach in July. I thought, wow, this is really something. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was comfortable. I'm not kidding. There was a rainbow and a full moon. Like the sun wasn't all the way down yet. Like it was like a postcard. It was. It was like, well, Maine is a postcard, but anyway. I pinch myself constantly in the summer when I, I'm just like, where am I? This isn't real life. This is a shire. But then you are shoveling snow for seven months. Tell us a little bit of your personal backstory and how you ended up being where you are today. I grew up in Northern California in the Redwood Forest, a little college town called Arcata, California. And Arcata was a wonderful place to grow up. It's a really hippie town. They call it mini Berkeley or like a little Santa Cruz. I think that there are 15,000 people that live there, but half of those are college students. And so while it was a really small community, it had a lot of cultural offerings that you maybe wouldn't get in other rural areas. And I lived there until I was 23. I went on exchange to the University of New Orleans to study vocal jazz music for one year. And then I went back to school, but I'm one of six kids. My dad owned a paint store growing up and 
I was the first generation to go to college. I didn't have the option to choose where I went to school. So I went to school in my hometown at Humboldt State University and finished school there. And then very promptly moved up to Seattle because I just love the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to go to law school at the University of Washington and wanted to become a resident before I even applied for the program. And I moved up to Seattle and got a job in film production. My brother-in-law works in film production and I just loved it. It was crazy. It was super hectic. I was working 14 hour days, but it was just exciting work. From there, I kind of forgot about being a lawyer and got a job at a design firm, then got a job in the corporate world running big launch events for a tech company. Well, I was feeling really amazed by the career that I built for myself, especially coming from a state school, one of six kids. I was making more money than my parents had ever made in their careers. I was so deeply unhappy. I traveled constantly for work. I was on an airplane probably every week. Although I had lots of friends in Seattle, I'd kind of lost touch with them because I wasn't home very often. And it just didn't feel fulfilling or sustainable. But all that said, I was stuck because it felt like golden handcuffs. I just felt like I couldn't leave this life because I was earning more money than I ever thought I would be able to earn. And so I went to New York for a launch event and I reached out to a friend who he had moved from Seattle to New York and he invited me to this party at this bar in Williamsburg. I saw this guy from across the room and as soon as I saw him, my heart just started thumping, but I very promptly went to the bar and ordered two drinks. And I saw my friend and people think that I'm an extroverted person. I'm very nervous in new environments and I feel very scared being in this crowded bar with all these people that knew one another. It was for like a launch party of some art magazine. And my friend Tommy came up and he said, oh my gosh, you'll never believe it. My friend Jake just asked me about you. He's like so artistic and kind and funny and stylish and wonderful. And he never asked about anyone. And I was like, no, no, no. I have a boyfriend. It's not in the cards. And then I found out that the guy that he was talking about was the guy that I saw who prompted me to go buy two drinks for myself and drink them. <laughs> and then I got even more nervous and he like eventually came up to me and we started talking at the bar and all of a sudden the bartender comes up and is like, Hey, it's last call. And we look around and there's nobody left in the bar. Oh. And, I, and we, and it was like four 30 in the morning. Oh my God. And it was crazy. And I never experienced that before. I'm like an overly realistic person and very pragmatic and I was just head over heels. And the next day I went to his house and rode our bicycles all over New York. And we went and had brunch and I invited him to come to the launch event that I was having for my company. And my boss was like, you better not leave because of this guy. Like he met this guy and I was like, oh, come on. It's never, whatever. Eventually that's what happened. So wow. what I realized later, he didn't tell me it that day, but the night that I met him was the day that he had signed his mortgage on the house <sighs> that we live at in Maine. Now he was already out of the city. He already had one foot out the door and it was a house that was across the street from his parents' place, like in the town that he grew up in. For me, it was just a decision as to whether I wanted to be with this person or not. Yeah. And I did. Honestly, the hardest part about moving was that loss of identity because I had tied what I did to who I was and did long distance for five months. I left Seattle and all my friends and I moved to Maine in the dead of winter in February. It was really hard. That struggle that I had with figuring out what I would do for work and who I was in this new environment and who I was with this person. It was just all of these things trying to like sort themselves out. And I was 29. So that's already kind of this period of transition that a lot of women go through, I think. Of like, who am I going to be in my 30s? What have I accomplished? What am I moving forward to? What do I set my energy into? And then I moved to this town that there weren't really any career opportunities here for me. And I couldn't do my work remotely that I was doing before. 
for the first time ever in my whole life, I got to think about what I really wanted to do for work versus just working. That was a really big game changer. And I don't think a lot of people have the opportunity to do that. It's an absolute blessing that I had that time. I had saved a lot of money from my career because I was traveling all the time. So I had a nice little cushion so I didn't have to worry about money and I didn't want to, you know, overly depend on my new partner at the time. But I did have some space to really start to think about, you know, is there something that I could create myself for work? The idea of Urban Exodus, I think, really came from wanting to learn from other people, wanting to connect to other people, because I felt like my network was much smaller moving to a rural area, although now my community is even greater and bigger and better here. Urban Exodus gave me an opportunity to connect with people all over the country and to learn from them and to promote them to just try to find my way. That is so beautiful and relevant, I think, to so many people and what they're going through now in more recent times. They've had the old way kind of removed. In your case, it was by choice, ultimately. It was definitely a choice that you made, but it happened like very quickly. I said I'm overly realistic yeah. and pragmatic. I feel like I've got my head on my shoulders. Yeah. I never watched romance movies. Yeah. I I wasn't really committed to the idea of getting married or having kids or any of those things until I met him. It was so strange and all of my friends were so weirded out by it. It felt so right in the time. So I wouldn't have moved to Maine for anybody else. Yeah, yeah. It's not a choice. You're right. It feels like something you have to do. It was inevitable. You didn't make your urban exodus because the country was calling you. It was a person, but what's funny, and my coworker who actually did like all of the soundtracks for Urban Exodus, Benjamin Bathurum, he was my coworker and we traveled around and he did all of the audio stuff for our big launch events. And I remember I was just really miserable. I came back from a launch event that didn't go very well. And Ben just knew it. I walked into the office just like defeated. And he was like, all right we're going to whiteboard your life. And he's just like oh. this very energetic person. And he was like, all right, where do you see yourself in five years? And he always hearkens back to this because I said, you know, quite honestly, I want to build like a blueberry farm and I want to live off of the land. And I want to teach myself all of these skills that I feel like we've all lost. And he was like, that's crazy, but okay. <laughs> and what's really nuts is that behind our house, it isn't our land, it's in land trust, but there's a giant wild blueberry barren. Blueberries for sale was not in my repertoire in Northern California, but I read it to my daughter here and I love that book. And my daughter is basically Sal. She's always like running barefoot through the blueberries, like since she's been a year and a half grabbing handfuls of blueberries and shoving them into her mouth. Since having her, I just see this life in such a different way, even more so. I really appreciated it before I had her, but now it just, I couldn't imagine her growing up anywhere else. It's such a magical place to grow up. And even just having the seasons is amazing. She knows, oh, well, this is when the daffodils come up and this is when the clovers come mm-hmm. up. And she's, she's setting those kind of rhythms and markers for herself. And I think that's really magic. My children were all raised in the suburbs and it had its many advantages, but that was before I had my urban exodus epiphany. It occurred to me during those years that my children's association with the seasonal changes had to do with what colors were popping up in the drugstore and the grocery store. And that really bothered me. For instance, you know, in the drugstores right now, they've got Valentine's stuff up. Everything will be green, and then things will start being pastels for Easter. And I remember just thinking to myself, that's really not right. You know, we need more connection (laughs) here with the seasons. And I was just that kind of a person anyway. So to hear of people having that insight now, even people that are living in the city, I think, are are recognizing how profound that is, like our disconnection with nature and the shifting of the seasons. And people might live a place that doesn't have four seasons, but still there's a connection with things going on in the environment and the natural world that really takes us to a place that I think we've been separated from as a culture. And so 
there is this idea of saying what you need, saying what you want in life. And then those things finding you. I feel like I can't give relationship advice anymore. (laughs) I have three sisters. They roll their eyes at me. I I got some sort of weird fairy tale. It's not to say that it's easy. All the challenges that came my way afterwards were hard. That was like your vision board kind of. And I think that's valuable, you know, not to get to woo-woo or anything, but it does shift something in you to state, to really like be still for a minute and say, what is it? What is that thing down in there that I won't take out and look at or speak? Because it just seems so impractical or just so out of the realm of possibility. But, you know, you did it. You were kind of beaten down to a point where you could access that. And I think that is such a big part of like what we talk about slow living is, is I think a huge part of it is slowing down enough to really like listen to yourself. And like in that moment, you were so lucky to have a good supportive friend and and give yourself too the permission to like say that out loud. That's really hard for a lot of people or they've never even stopped to like really listen to that. You know, you talked about the golden handcuffs and being on the treadmill, so to speak, like going through the motions of what your life was. It's, it's hard to imagine other possibilities until something comes in to interrupt that to to break the cycle you know like meeting somebody really significant or a a pandemic you know (laughs) yeah to just like jolt us out of our our comfort zone to a certain degree and Mm -hmm. I think that that's conscious programming it's corporate culture I mean Mm -hmm. there's a reason the term golden handcuffs is associated with corporations Mm -hmm. because They teach you to keep climbing the ladder. They teach you to Mm -hmm. wear your title as a badge of honor. You know, if you get trapped in that and you feel like you can't get out, then your dreams just kind of die out to a certain degree. Yeah. And I feel lucky that I did have, you know, this person come into my life where I had to take a look at those things and I had to trust in myself. I think that was the other thing that was really hard. I've never felt like a master of anything. And so moving to Maine and having to be like, what could I actually do for work that I could combine some of these skills together to create some sort of living for myself and having the courage to do that. I mean, it wasn't even courage. It was just necessity. Isn't it interesting that when we talk about comfort zone, in the the normal use of the word we're talking about like oh you have a good job you make enough money to live comfortably you're on a career track and we really don't mean comfort zone in terms of comfortable in our own skin like you were in a comfort zone but you were by your own words miserable I think that's interesting well I was measuring my worth on how much I was making which is something that is perpetuated in our culture constantly and I mean I think coming from a background where my family didn't have very much and my parents were constantly arguing about money and I heard all that and so that imprinted on me so I felt like if I had enough money then I would be happy and that's not true I think that it's really just the deprogramming of your brain and being okay with a measure of success that's different from the norm yeah you really have to go to a different place inside yourself and read it. Listen. Yeah, exactly. Listen to, you know, what is really there? This is a great story. And I think it's so, so important for people to hear. Part of the drive of creating Urban Exodus for me was that I knew that there were other people out there whiteboarding their lives and wanting to be on blueberry fields and wanting to grow their own food and wanting to do all of these things, but not feeling brave enough and not feeling like there were other people like them, maybe even. And so when I started looking online to try and see if I could find stories, the only stories that I could really find were these overly bucolic stories of you know, people leaving and bringing their successful businesses or other things with them to the country just didn't feel as honest or realistic to me. And it also didn't feel particularly emboldening for people who maybe didn't have that same safety net. So I wanted to create a site where anybody that went to the website could find a story that they could connect to that felt tangible to them, that felt like it could be realistic. And obviously there are stories on there that are people who had very successful lives and moved to the country with lots of money and started a hobby farm or started something that fed them. But also having stories on there of people that maybe didn't have that much money and they saved for it and they thought about it and they wrote grants and 
and they figured out how they could make that life work for them. How did you find these people? I would think that would be very hard to decipher. I just used my weird background of loving investigating and digging deeper and I had like a spreadsheet and that was kind of at the beginning stages of Instagram and so I would just find farm sites or artists that were based in rural areas that I liked their work and then I just emailed them and said hey you know perchance did you move from a city and a lot of them said yes, because I think that Instagram was a tool that they were using initially to find that community that maybe they didn't have as much anymore in their more rural area. And so I met a lot of people kind of early in their journey. And what's been great about doing the podcast is a lot of the people that I've re-interviewed are people that I met kind of their first, second year in the country and to see what they have built in the last five years. It's astounding. And when you're in it, every day and you feel like there's just this never ending to-do list, you don't maybe notice the progress that you have made. It can just feel like it's just this daily monotonous trudge to whatever goals you have in mind for that year. And so that has been really amazing to be able to kind of start early in these people's journey and then see what can be attained, what can be built over time, having them share their stories so that I can share that with other people so that they don't make those same missteps that maybe they had made. What have you found in talking to people in their journey? Like, what do you think is the main or some of the main themes of people being held up to follow the call out of the city and into rural life? Is it just like they don't don't let themselves think that they can do it? Or what are some of the big holdups? Work, healthcare, you know, things that you feel like you really need and you do need. And If you lose your job in a rural area, finding another one is really hard. I mean, when I moved to Maine, all of my friends just assumed moving to the country and sitting in a hammock and drinking lemonade and, you know, they had this overly (laughs) simplified view of it. But really, I I felt like I kind of lost my network of people. They just had thought that I had checked out because they just didn't understand what I was doing. And they felt like maybe I'd like taken a step back or something. I think work is really scary for people. And it's something that, you know, is worth really considering. That's always the question that I ask, you know, what, how did your career change when you moved here? Actually like two or three people that I photographed early in the project, they became nurses and went back to nursing school. It was a total career change for them, but nurses are needed everywhere. So they realized that that was a job that they could have in their rural community that they would always have work prospects. And so career changes are a big thing. But I think with the pandemic, it's really interesting because it's expedited that talk that a lot of people are worried about having with their bosses, which is the telecommuting talk. I think a lot of the telecommuters that I know who were telecommuting before the pandemic, they work harder than the people in the office because they're trying to prove themselves. You know, they're constantly on, they're working longer hours, they're making sure that they're proving that they can be productive and that they can continue to be like an active team member from a rural location. And I think with the pandemic, you don't even need to have that conversation anymore. A lot of companies are saying that they just aren't going to have on-site things until 2021, 2022. And so it's giving people that option. And so if they can get into a rhythm with telecommuting, then they can really live wherever they want. And so I think that's going to change the landscape of rural America. And I hope that it changes it for the better. I hope that people who are telecommuting still realize that they need to shop local, that they need to get involved on boards, they need to figure out ways to make their community better and stronger and to make everybody in that community better and stronger so it doesn't feel more like a us versus the city people that moved in. And so that's another thing with Urban Exodus that I've been trying to tell through these stories is like how you actually become an active member in your rural community and not just kind of like hide out, which is particularly difficult to do during a pandemic. I was going to ask you, on your website, you have the definition of a ruralist. And it says, one who exhibits characteristics or qualities of rural life. So the question I would have for you on that score is, how do the lessons learned from living in the country 
translate to those who will always be city or suburban dwellers? Or what are the changes a person might go through in their outlook on life or their perspective where they would be able to get some of those same benefits of country living without moving at all? We have a mutual friend, Sherry Powell. Yeah. And she uses the word rural a lot. I just really liked the idea of ruralist because right when I started the project, I knew immediately that I didn't want to make it only about people who are living in the country. Right. Because not everybody can just pick up their life. Wanted to make it so that anybody that went to the website could find something that they could identify with, changes that they could make in their life that they felt like they needed. And so I have this secondary kind of piece of Urban Exodus, which is called Urban Haven. And these are stories where I interview people who are running urban farms, people who are urban homesteaders, urban beekeepers, people that are still living in the suburbs or in the city, like rooftop gardens and whatnot. And they're bringing elements of rural living to their city existence. And I wanted to have those because it isn't for everyone. You know, sometimes it can be really jarring. I've had New Yorker friends come out and stay with us and they're like, I couldn't sleep at all last night because it was so quiet, you know? And it did take a while to get used to that for me, but it isn't for everyone. And I don't think that the answer is that everybody moves to a rural place and like gets their own chickens and does that. But I do think that making certain changes in your life that feel like you are more connected to the earth, to the rhythms, to your food. Those are all really positive things that you can implement in your life, no matter how much money you have, how stuck you feel. And make it a priority to put yourself in situations where you can observe the changes taking place in nature, even if it's just a tree on the street corner or that daffodil coming up and and notice it and point it out to your children and all those things. That's just a tiny little thing, but it's actually not tiny at all. It's really really changing your consciousness and and reconnecting to the natural world. I would love to ask, you've addressed them a little bit, but especially in your adjusting to your main life, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to address and, and overcome? The work piece was really big for me because I love to work. I, I, I do. Um, I love to work and feel like I have purpose. And so figuring out that piece was really, really challenging. And it took about three years. I built a graphic design business with my husband and a photography business with my husband. And then we started teaching photography workshops. And then we started teaching destination photography workshops. And then we just launched Jake.Art, which is selling beautiful art pieces of his. I had all these pots boiling on the stove because I felt like The only way to create something was to just try everything and turn the heat down on things that weren't really turning into a good stew and then turn up the heat on things that felt like they were clicking. And now we have been here for eight years. The pandemic kind of threw us a little bit. I had planned an entire summer's worth of art and creative workshops at our farm with 25 artists from all over. Uh, the country and I had to cancel all of those and I pivoted some of them online. But I think that that has been really hard is finding really meaningful way that I can create a living. The other challenges have really just been more adapting, adapting to the seasons, trying to embrace every season and what comes with it and the pace of life that comes with, you know, the winter season is my creative time. It's when I get all of my work done. The summer is really about socializing and being outside and just like sucking the marrow of summer as much as you can to get it through. The fall is about hiking and like being outside without all of the biting insects. And the challenges have mostly been for me finding a way to create meaningful job where I feel like I'm doing good in addition to my work. So speaking of 2020 and the pandemic and all the the changes that that brought about for you and the ways you had to adjust, what would you take from 2020 into 2021 that you see as like was a real enhancement or positive in your life? I mean, 2020 has been such a teacher to me. It's been 
obviously very painful, like it has been for so many people. I feel so grateful. I've always felt very grateful. I feel like I have lived, even though I've worked hard, I feel like I've lived a very charmed and privileged life. And acknowledging that privilege and charm and using that energy to try to create good and to actually feel like I am more action than words. I think that that's been a really big lesson that I've learned. Another big lesson has been, I can't actually plan for everything. And as somebody that has always planned things my entire career, my entire life, I'm one of six kids. They call me the cat wrangler. Like if we need to all go do something as a family, they're like, Alyssa, go get everybody, <laughs> get them together, move them out of the house. And so just realizing that there are certain things that are beyond my control and I can plan as much as I can, but I just have to be able to be flexible and to think about new paths and new ways when obstacles are put forth and not feel discouraged, just like keep going. And the other really, really big piece that I'm still working on has been finding a work-life balance. And I think that that's been really hard since running my own business because before, to a certain degree, I could turn off when I got home. And now my home is where I work and my home is where my three-year-old is and my in-laws who live across the street. It's been such a blessing to have them during this pandemic and for them to be able to spend so much time with our daughter. But my mother-in-law just got over cancer that was centered in her lungs. So we took Haven out of school, but just realizing that I need to spend more time with her and I need to be present in that time. And I need to create boundaries for myself with work where I'm maybe not saying yes to everything right away, or I'm telling people that I have to postpone things because my family comes first. And I wasn't in that mindset before this pandemic. It was just like head down, push through and being more intentional with my time, you know, things can wait. And I think that that has been so helpful for me because otherwise I'm just gonna power through. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know everybody says this and they told me it, but I just, it fell on deaf ears because I'm a person that just likes to, you know, cross things off my list and like keep moving forward and constantly working. And they're like, your daughter's just gonna be a teenager before you know it. And she's turning four in January and already just looking back, it's like, yeah, it's gone. So being able to spend time with her, it's such a blessing. And so I feel really grateful that the pandemic forced me to slow down and take mm -hmm. this time with her. Alyssa, talk to us about the good dirt in your life. What does that mean to you, literally or metaphorically or any way you want to interpret that? The first thing that I thought of was magnesium. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I mean, the first thing I did, the thing I think really helped me in the first two years as I was trying to find my way here was growing food. And my first year, I grew this enormous garden and I had no idea what I was doing. And I planted way too many tomato plants to the point where I was making tomato sauce all August and September, just like huge pots full of tomato sauce. But it was so rewarding and magic and like the connection to the soil, it, it was healing all of the parts of me that I felt needed healing. And so just that idea of dirt being good. And I remember reading an article about magnesium and about how people's magnesium levels are really, really low now. And it's because we used to eat food that was dirty, like fresh from the soil. And you get a lot of magnesium from the soil. That is a lot of your magnesium intake. And your magnesium is connected to if you're exercising your body, it makes your body feel better. So I thought of that, which is kind of nerdy. But the other thing that I think about what good dirt is, is this ability to absorb and to not just like pass through. And so I just think about regenerative agriculture and how wrong we've been doing so many things for so long. This like taking a turn and looking back and being like, 
whoa, we have to fix this. Like this, this dirt is no longer good. <laughs> How can we change our practices so that this actually will sustain us and isn't based on profitability and isn't based on promises to shareholders where it's like really making decisions that are good for everyone. I don't know, that's kind of a random thoughts, but when I think of good dirt, it, those are all of the ideas that come to mind. That's so beautiful. Do you have like a podcast or something? That's like so well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you might've said this in so many words. What do you want people to most understand about the work that you do? For me, the motivation is for people to follow their dreams, no matter what. This is a side project. I want people to know that. I feel like I've been getting a lot of emails from people being like, hey, I want this, I want this. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> but like, I can devote maybe five hours a week to this side project because it isn't my full-time job. And I want people to know that all I'm doing is creating a space where people can feel inspired and informed by other people's stories. And I just think that there's so much out there now that's negative and hard and bad. And I want people to see some light and I want people to feel inspired that they can make changes in their lives too. I don't want them to feel the way that I did before I met my husband. I mean, I, I wouldn't have made those changes myself. I really don't think I would have. And I want anybody that's searching for that to be able to find the website, find something that they connect to and go, you know what? I can do this because they can. That's why I keep doing the project. I started shooting for it in 2013. It's the same with the pots boiling on the stove. Sometimes I turn the heat way down because I just can't. Like there's too many other things with my other businesses that I'm doing that I can't focus on it. But I think this pandemic, it's made a lot of people tune into themselves more. Yeah. Like you were saying, Mary, all of a sudden there's silence. There's nothing kind of getting in the way or telling you other things. And you're really sitting with your thoughts and you're asking yourself these greater questions because you feel isolated from the things that maybe distracted you before or the things that maybe weren't serving you as well as you thought they were. So I would really like in the future to just continue down that path where I can inspire people to make positive changes in their life. And I don't know where it's going to lead me I was a photographer, Urban Exodus initially was just, I wanted to take pictures of people and learn their stories. Then it kind of turned into something else and now it's turning into something else. And so I don't know where it's going, but what feeds me and what drives me for it is just people making those big changes in their life. And I've met a lot of them now. And that's why I keep doing it. I've had so many emails from people who have been like, Hey, I found your website. And I was like in this horrible job, my family was really unhappy and we just decided to do it. And we saved up and we figured it out and we moved and we're so happy now. And I just wanted to thank you. And that's the whole reason I do it. And that's why I keep doing it. I think in the future, I want to promote people that maybe don't have that same network to really push them forward so that they can realize their dreams. I know that sounds really cheesy, but. To add to that, what you said earlier so eloquently that it's not necessarily about moving from an urban area out to the country. It's, it's about so many other things. There's so many other levels of it. And um, your project is so affirming to people looking deep and looking inward and saying, what is it that's really going to light up my own particular light? Not what the culture says I should be doing or my family or, or, or whatever. It's when people really look into themselves and make those hard, life-altering decisions, so many times everything else goes in a more positive direction for everybody. <laughs> so where can people... Uh, who may be just hearing about you for the first time, where can they find you and tell us a little bit about your podcast and yeah, anything else you want to share? Well, the website is urbanexodus.com. There are over a hundred stories on there of people all over the U S and there are a few international stories on there as well. So you can kind of search by region you can search kind of by occupation or what people do for work. 
And the podcast launched right after Thanksgiving and we have 11 episodes. So we still have three more, I think that are launching through January 23rd. And then I think it might be something that I do seasonally. I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to figure out that rhythm. I really love the podcast in the way that people are telling their own story. It's not me writing it for them, which, you know, I have a background. One of my degrees in school is in journalism, but writing other people's stories isn't as fulfilling to me as hearing their stories Mm -hmm. and then like stitching their stories together and sharing those stories with people. I think it just is so much more inspiring from their own mouths. And so 11 episodes and who knows what the future holds for that. And then let's see, my photography work can be found on alyssahessler.com and my husband and I's photography workshops. We teach online now in COVID times, which has actually been really amazing because we'd only taught in-person destination courses and it forced us to go online, which was very scary and weird initially, but has been wonderful. I don't, and then someday, (laughs) maybe at the end of the summer, although I'm feeling like it'll probably be the next summer, the workshops at Howell Hill Farm. That's something that I've been working towards for the last three years, writing workshops, painting workshops, photography workshops. And I'm thinking in the future of incorporating maybe some workshops that are more tied to some of the things that I feel really passionate about with Urban Exodus, like farming, composting, herbalism, things like that. But bringing that all here, because I don't know, since I've moved here, I've become a little bit more of a homebody. And to be able to bring that energy and culture from all over to this little hillside in Maine, that really feeds me. And I could see that being enduring and something that I would really love to do for the rest of my life to create, you know, scholarship programs where I get people out of the city where they can come and experience Maine for the first time who maybe wouldn't be able to. And I think that the other lesson that this pandemic has taught me is that good things take time, be part of the process and like, let go of all of this. Like I have to do this right now. (laughs) I have to do this right now. Mm -hmm. Be like, you know what? that can wait for a moment. And I should have learned that earlier on, but it took me a really long time. Yeah. And, you know, when you live in the country and you, you know, you grow things and you live through the seasons that really teaches you that patience, because if something doesn't work out one season, you have to wait another year to try again. I've also lived in my rural setting for, for eight years. That's weird. Y'all made that move at the same time. Yeah. And early on, it would just really bug me like, oh, God, you know, that didn't work. I'm just really bummed out. Now it's like, oh, okay, well, there's always next season. You just kind of rest in it and it just takes the urgency out of everything. I think that nature teaches you all the lessons that you need to know if you just listen. During this pandemic, I've realized how much nature has kept me grounded and has kept me sane. And it's made me really want that experience for other people who don't have access to it as freely as I do. You know, I'm still trying to formulate thoughts and plans and things, but starting to settle into what a purpose would be for my life and all of the things that I do kind of funneling into that purpose. And I think Urban Exodus to me has become to a certain degree a purpose and it's just figuring out the best ways to use it for good. You're doing such a beautiful job. You are. And I think that's a wonderful thought to end on. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Oh, thanks, ladies. So thank you so much for being with us today and talking about your wonderful project and everything else you're doing. I All can't the wait to come to How Hill Farm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you ladies are doing. And I love that you are a mother-daughter team and um, (laughs) it's it's really wonderful and sweet and honestly our messagings are very aligned we don't have to believe what our culture is telling us our culture has been telling us the wrong thing for a long time yeah these are very rich times we're living in yeah oh well we should let you get on with your day Elizabeth. (laughs) see you both nice to see you bye Bye.
What a fun and inspirational conversation that was. Emma, as lady farmer in the city, is there something you took away from that that you can apply? Well, I just really loved how Alyssa talked about having the courage to go after your dreams and the whole kind of whiteboarding your life and blue sky dreaming and, you know, kind of how nothing is impossible, even if it sounds crazy. You never know the scenarios in which things will work. So even though I do love living in the city and there are certain things that I'm really excited about this year in particular, because I have a little bit more green space. So I am going to plant a garden and I have started composting and all these things that I can do kind of like hashtag lady farmer in the city. I think that part of urban exodus is also just about keeping your possibilities open and following your dreams, which is something I'm all about. I love that. Yes. She makes the point that when you state what's deep in your heart about what you really want and what you really want to do with your life, it can take shape in many different ways. And it's just a really powerful thing to do. So thank you so much, Alyssa, for talking to us today. We really got a lot out of that. Yeah, we hope you did too. And if you are not already subscribed, subscribe to the Good Dirt Podcast, share it with a friend. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. We also have a membership community. It's currently closed for enrollment, but will open again in the spring. And a great way to get a sneak peek of that is our slow living challenge coming up. So if you just go to our website and search for slow living challenge, you'll find how to get there. And it starts February 21st and we'll be sharing every week a different prompt for slow living. And yeah, and then after that, you'll have the opportunity to join the Almanac. See what else I'm... Oh, we have a really exciting, intensive workshop coming up March 13th with Nikki and Dave Schauder from Permaculture Gardens. And they're going to be teaching us all about the planting calendar, harvest times, sun exposure, all like the nitty gritty stuff about having a successful garden and and planning for that and it's going to be super awesome because she's even customizing this workshop based on the zip codes of all of the, the participants and if you sign up by March 6th you'll receive a personalized planting calendar based on your zip codes so that's super exciting so yeah lots of really fun stuff coming up make sure you're following us on Instagram that's where you will definitely share everything there and if you're not already on our newsletter can sign up for that too. So many ways to get involved. We're so glad you're here and thank you for listening and we hope to see you next week. Bye everybody. Bye.